0: Luke chapter 15, now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him, And the Pharisees and scribes were grumbling. I grew up in a Christian family with a good youth group, good Sunday school teachers, godly parents. But I reached a stage in my development as a human, probably around ages 7 to 15, where I found Christianity bad news. My experience of Christianity is that it would have probably been a great relief if there had been no God. During the shutdown, the COVID shutdown thing when we were isolated in our homes and I was kind of going crazy, you know the principle, it's more blessed to give than to receive. It's more happy to give than to receive. It's more enjoyable to contribute than it is to take. Well, during the shutdown, I was not able to contribute in the first parts I was so used to pouring into people, and then suddenly I was supposed to stay at home. So I I needed to create, because there's nothing more soul-deadening than sitting at home in your house and just consuming media. It's like watching other people live their lives while you are in a fish tank. Now, there's people who don't know that yet. They still think that escaping from the pain of their lives through just consuming which is basically digital uh, um, alcoholism or uh, food addiction. It's a, it's, a, it's a media consumption addiction as a, as a coping mechanism to escape the reality of your life. Some people haven't yet figured out that it's actually more blessed to create than to consume. It's more happy, more fulfilling to be someone who makes and shares things that add value to others than it is to just consume things others have made. Are you with me? Right? So... I started to go out of my mind, so I started to make videos daily. You remember this? And then people online were like, you should make videos forever daily. This is great. When this thing's over, you can still go make vi- daily videos. Uh, no, I'll have an outlet. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I didn't have to preach when I was in Kentucky because I was a song leader, which you saw me do this morning, which is, I w- I'm willing to do it, but it's not ideal. Right? Right? I don't have juice in the tank left over to preach much when I have to do that too many times. Because that doesn't fill me up. This fills me up. All right, here's my point. During COVID, I was going out of my mind. I was ready to pop. So I started making daily videos, and I made a bunch of new friends that way. Got invited to some churches to, to share Jesus with them because of the online thing. That was nice, unintended, you know, that's how life goes. One of the people that I met is a gentleman who I won't name. And after a while of relating to him regularly, he said, hey, I feel bad. I I think you're assuming I'm a Christian, but I just want to let you know I'm not a Christian. I grew up in a Christian family. In fact, I used to be a missionary, but I have deconverted and I no longer believe in Christianity. I said, okay, thanks for sharing that with me. And then we began to have a dialogue back and forth conversation about, first of all, as you hear me say, instead of first of all, first of all. What was it that caused you to stop being a Christian? What caused you to no longer believe this is true or maybe also no longer believe this matters? And we had a thorough, multiple days, right? Day after day, sometimes week after week, we would have these back and forth dialogues and it really wasn't so much an argument or a debate as it was a conversation. And clearly... Well, he, I, here's one of the fun things that he, that he said to me. I've never met a Christian who believes what you believe, so clearly the faith I have rejected is not the faith you embrace. That's, fu- that's fascinating. The truth is I actually am a standard believer, but he didn't, didn't know that. The version of Christianity he had rejected, I would consider a cartoon. Remember, remember my friend Adam Bauer? On Easter, the Lord told him, gas station sushi. And he's like, what the heck is that, Lord? And he's like, gas station sushi, Adam. What are you talking about, Lord? And he said, a whole bunch of people are going to show up at your church for Easter. And then they're not going to come again all year long. And the reason is they don't think Christianity is relevant to their real life. They think Christianity is relevant to the afterlife, Right? Like when I met Jesus, I went and talked to one of my friends who worked at the gas station right up the road, and I was like, oh my word, I just met God. God's amazing. Do you know God? And she's like, I ain't dead yet. Easy killer. I got some sinning to do. That's a joke, but that's supposed to make you laugh, and it didn't. If you have to explain your jokes, they didn't land. Do you know what I mean? It's not working. (laughs) It's like having to explain your compliments. You shouldn't have to explain your compliments. Oh, you don't look as big in that dress. Well, we're having trouble. That's a problem. I was trying to say you look good. No, it's not what you said. It did not work. So she's my friend at the gas station. She says, uh, I'm not dead yet. Interesting. So me and this gentleman, we start having this dialogue about the faith. And he says, you believe weird stuff. Are you allowed to believe these things that you believe? For example, I believe the, un- the universe is super old. <laughs> he was not a flat earther. So, so I was the first Christian that he had encountered that fully embraced a scientific worldview. And, that, and I trust the scientists to tell me how things were made and how old they are. And I trust the Bible to tell me who made them and what they're for. That I don't pit science against the Bible. And I don't try to take science from the Bible and make my science fit into my a priori assumptions about what the Bible is meaning. And so he's like, I haven't, I haven't, met, I haven't met Christians like you. And, and a, a whole variety of other topics as well, like the idea of progressive revelation, that God meets humanity where we are. And along the way, he reveals a little more, more of what he's like over gener- many generations, culminating in Jesus as the clearest picture of what God is like. So all these different ideas that he was like, I don't know if you're allowed, Christians shouldn't be allowed to believe these things that you're believing. And I'm like, bro, trust me, this is orthodoxy. This is standard. It might not be what modern Christians believe, but it is what Christians believed 2,000 years ago. And through the conversation, I I remember one of the things that I was processing was what would that feel like to give your life fully to be a missionary, to, to... Your wife is a Christian. You're a Christian. You're raising your kids in the church to be Christian. You're trying to get this fly to land on your face. Delete that. This fly likes me. Is it going to land on my face again? I have a salt gun at home. It's like a shotgun that shoots salt. And I want it right now. What if I just keep moving around? All right. This fly. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. We're good. I, I'm just allowing these interruptions to be enjoyable for everyone. Do you know what I'm talking about? I'm ADHD enough that I'm like, it's okay to go off. It's okay to go off mission. Yeah. It's totally okay. Sometimes the, it's like life. If everything goes well, you forget none of it, and you don't put it in your journal. But it's the breakdowns and the problems and the flat tires that you're like, oh, man, that was horrible. Why are you smiling as you tell me the story then? Interesting. Because it's the meaningful stuff. Sometimes the diversions are the, real, are the real point. Okay. I started to wonder, how does it feel, how does it feel for my friend to lose his faith? You, a few weeks ago, I talked about Science Mike, and Science Mike grew up, and Jesus was his best friend. God was his best friend. He talked to the, people, the kids on this playground were mean, He was in a misfit at school, His parents went through a major divorce, and God became his constant companion. And so in science, Mike left his faith, it felt like his best friend died, his very best friend. Like I, I, I can understand that. Some people would say, wow, your framework for meaning disappeared. Yes, your framework for meaning, that's true, that's true. Because we you, you draw meaning from our worldview, that's correct. We draw values and meaning and interpretive, like what does my story mean? You draw that from your worldview, but so much more than that. If you actually know God, you're drawing emotional comfort, you're drawing connection and direction, from a living being whose presence you feel, God speaks the love language of touch, whose voice you hear, God speaks the love language of quality conversation and words of affirmation, whom whom you're spending time together, quality time, like all all the love languages. If you have a real faith, real biblical faith, God's actually meeting your emotional needs. I'm not saying he's the only one He's designed us for community as well. But real biblical faith is way more than beliefs. Are you with me? So when Science Mike, there was one nod, so that's okay. When Science Mike lost his faith, it was devastating. It was worse than if his parents had died and his dog had died and his girlfriend had left him all in the same week. Because this was a love closer than any of those loves. Here's an interesting thing. I've gone on vacations. I've enjoyed them. I've traveled around the world. I've enjoyed that. I've I've seen amazing, cool, beautiful places. I've enjoyed that. I have thrilling and fulfilling relationships. I love that. I have a beautiful romance with my wife. That's fantastic. I love my children and the joy that each of them has brought me has been significant and it's enriched my life, but... The most thrilled, the most fulfilled, the most loved, the most peace, the most excited, the most alive I have ever felt, top five experiences of my life, every one of them is an encounter with God. My wedding day was good. The day Gabe was born was amazing. Each of the birth of my children had been exciting. Gabe's was the weirdest, though, because that was like shifting, like from. It's weird. How do you explain to someone what it feels like to have a kid and shift from that to, that's, that's a weird thing. It's something moving in the direction of what it must, you know, must a piece of you being sent off into the universe. Hey, Gabe's right there. But top five of my, of my I'm alive experiences have all been encounters with God. I mean, which by the way, they don't, they don't cost you much money compared to, a vacation. You don't have to save up 30 grand to go travel the universe and just climb the Swiss Alps and, you know. You could do all that. None of that's as thrilling and fulfilling as encountering the, the manifest power, presence, love of the Father. So in my mind, I'm talking to my friend, and I'm thinking to walk away from the faith is not just to lose your construct for meaning and your construct for identity and purpose. It's to lose shoot, it's to lose almost everything. So I say, how, would, how did that feel? And he says, oh, it was a major relief. Switching from believing in God to not believing there even is a God, or if there is, you can't know it. He basically didn't switch to becoming an atheist. He switched to being an agnostic. Which makes sense. It, which makes sense, right? Like, it's pretty arrogant to go from belief that there is to conviction that there can't be. That's a bit of an overreach. And they would say, well, dude, faith is an overreach then. Agnosticism is the only reasonable position. I go, I hear what you're saying. So he says, it's a relief. It was a relief to lose my faith. Well, that's really interesting. And I feel like that's almost a helpful litmus test to figuring out if we believe what the apostles believed because their thing was, I have really good news. I have really good news. Oh, I have such great news for you. The kingdom is at hand. The kingdom's arriving. The kingdom's about here. You can rearrange your life, make space for it and enter into it now and get get ready for its fullness to arrive. I got great news. But if, you, but if leaving the faith is good news, then what news were you believing as the faith? And by the way, this is not meant to be me throwing him under the bus. I'm just suggesting that what he had sounds more, if it's a, if it's a great relief to no longer believe, then your faith isn't lifting your burdens, it's actually adding burdens to you. You should be different. You should believe this. You should give your life to this. Also, never feel these things you feel. Are you tracking with what I'm saying? If, if when you're dead, you're dead, and nothing matters, is a huge relief to you, then I'd like to know, like, what is it that you think is the gospel? Because, not church people. Church people killed Jesus. Sinners loved Jesus. Tax collectors and prostitutes were attracted to him and they hung on his every word. Church people were constantly irritated, annoyed, bothered, offended, disheveled. They disagreed with what he said and what he did and how he was and his whole energy was wrong. Why he happy? And how come these people whose lives are a mess just can't stay away from Jesus? And these people whose lives aren't a mess, at least externally, they can't hardly be around Jesus, right? Fascinating. So I grew up in the church. Let me see. Okay, good. I grew up in the church. I had a good family. I had a good youth group. But when I reached about age 8... My prayer life consisted essentially of, God, I'm sorry, I'll try not to do it again. Please, can you forgive me? God was up there, far away. His love was something we sang about on Sundays, but I definitely didn't feel it, know it, receive it, trust it, experience it. I knew it in here. But God's the big, scary judge I will stand before one day. And also, I am standing before him now. He sees everything I can't hide. I want what I shouldn't want. I, I do what I shouldn't do. I say what I shouldn't say. I'm a liar. I'm a blasphemer. I lust. I'm greedy. I steal. I sneak. I cheat. And not because I'm a bad person, but because I'm a person like every other person. And when I try not to, I can not for a little bit, but then I have to again. And so then my prayer life was, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So by about age 12, I had already done a couple of these things. The motivation. Motivation. Here we go. We went to a conference. We went to a thing. They got emotion. They got us to go to the front and cry. They threatened us with hell. don't think that, don't want that, don't do that. And all the stuff they said don't do is the stuff like we were literally designed by Jesus to want to do. That just I couldn't figure out how to, how to not sin constantly. So by the age 12, I had already figured out, oh, this is a thing we do. This is just what we do. We get in large social groups and we stir each other's emotion up so that we can get committed and then for a little while, we run on the fuel of that, and we get real serious, and I wore a cross to middle school around my neck, neck, you know, like a wooden cross. And I listened to DC talk, real serious about the Lord for a minute, and then sin again. Lust, lie, cuss, all the stuff again. Do what I want to do. Do what I feel like doing again. Live for the flesh again. Live for me again. Do what I... In other words, what I... My real me. The center of my life was me. I shouldn't. Motivation, fail, condemnation. I'm sorry, rededication. That was my cycle, till I was in my early teens, and I finally realized, this isn't livable. Christianity is not doable. Even if it were true, and who knows if it's true, it's not livable. It's certainly not fun, and it's definitely not good news. What a great relief it would be, says 15-year-old Tim. What a great relief, more like 16-year-old Tim. If I could be unshackled from these moral obligations I was handed just by virtue of being born into this family and growing up with these worldview and assumptions about faith and Jesus and Bible and heaven and hell and judgment. Are you with me? I, i I wasn't drawn to Jesus, I wasn't drawn to faith. I was drawn to life. And it seemed to me like I had to choose between life and faith. Between joy and beauty, goodness, poetry, lust, joy, romance, sex, rock and roll, poetry and then later drugs. On the one hand that were saying really live, really live, really feel, really live, and on the other hand clamp down all things that are good. If it feels good, it's bad. If it's if it's If it tastes good, it's bad for you, basically. The moral equivalent of that. If if it tastes good, spit it out, says Charles Barkley on his dieting strategy. And that was basically my moral vision of the universe. If it tastes good, spit it out, because it's wrong. But over here was, I want to really feel and love and live and all of it Deeply. Then come along, so, so it wasn't livable. Faith, the faith wasn't livable. Then comes along a little bit, I get a little older and I start to think a little deeper and I start to realize wait a minute, maybe I only even believe in Christianity because I happen to have been born in a Christian family. Maybe if I had been born in a, a family that wasn't Christian, I would just believe what my parents told me is true. Don't children essentially trust their parents most of the time for basic worldview stuff? My parents told me the Bible's true and Jesus is Lord. If I'd have grown up in a Muslim family, they would have told me Allah is the only God and Muhammad is his prophet and the Quran is, the, is, their, is true. And everyone around me would have believed that and he would have gone to services where we would be socialized into this value system. We would be socially rewarded for being committed to it. We would be socially shamed and ostracized for not lining up with it. So I would believe that stuff. That would feel true to me if I were born there. If I were Buddhist, I would believe there's this the goal is to get free of worldly attachments and be meditative and follow the eightfold path? If I was Hindu I would think the goal is to no longer, is to reach moksha and no longer be reincarnated again, be finally set free. Because don't we all feel like we're not free? I would just have believed that. So if I would be a Hindu if I was born Hindu, if I would be an atheist if I was born into a scientific, naturalist, materialist family, if I would be a a Muslim if I was born in Iraq or wherever, and I happen to be a Christian because I was born in a Christian family, that means none of us should trust our beliefs just because we were born into these families. We should all reject the faith we were handed and genuinely search for what is true, That became my conviction somewhere in my early teens, mid-teens. So I became argumentative. Still going to youth group every week because that's what you do. Parents say, you live in my house, you follow my rules. And I love my parents. I, I had nothing against my parents. I never once rebelled against my parents to spite them. I rebelled against the rules because I wanted to be alive. I was the younger brother in the story. I can't... There's not life here. I gotta get free. I don't feel free. I gotta there's gotta be life somewhere out there. I gotta go find it. So I was the younger brother in the story. But I didn't hate my dad. It wasn't wasn't personal. I didn't hate my parents. I didn't technically hate the God of the Bible. I didn't know if the God of the Bible was the real God, is my point. Or if I just happened to believe it because this is where I live. Don't, like most Americans, assume that they believe in God just because they're Americans? Most, not all. Some vague God, some vague idea there's a good God somewhere up there who loves us no matter what we do, and it's his job to forgive. And one day we'll all go eat pie, I guess. And he's really keen on the United States, way better. He likes the United States way more than any other country. We're the best, and he knows it. So we're just a weird set of things we assume are true, whether they are. And if you happen to be Canadian, you feel similarly about Canada, I guess. Or Mexico. So I became argumentative with the other Christians, like, intellectually. Not because I was, like, sure they were wrong, but because, why are we all so sure we're right? Somebody ought to have the intellectual integrity to say, what about the alternatives? And about the same time, I also discovered drugs because... I was deeply unhappy, probably undiagnosed, depressed. But what I figured out was as long as I was high, it didn't hurt as bad. So I stayed drunk and high daily. But I really liked going to youth group high to feel the peace that would come into the room while they would sing. Most of you know this story, but I don't know why. I just felt like I'm supposed to tell it today. Even when I was on drugs, I liked the peace that would come into the atmosphere when we would sing. Something about the mood in the room would shift. You could, it was like you could feel this thing on your skin. It's like you can't see it, but the air changes. It's, it's density. There's like it's energy. It's really peaceful, happy. Everything's right. Everything's going to be okay feeling in the room. Not so much when we would preach or talk or share and go in our weird opinions, people just sharing their dumb opinions, but when we would actually get outside of ourselves and what we think and we would focus in on getting in touch with this thing. I was drawn to that, even as a little kid, like falling asleep under the chair while the parents would sing songs to God on Wednesday nights in the house. That I liked. Not so much the whole, I can't live up to these impossible ideals. That I didn't like. So I started to self-medicate Right up until I was about 17, I would say I became, I was running from, not running after. I wanted to know what is life for. I had decided faith was not livable. It might not even be true. It's probably not true. That's one layer. It's definitely not livable because I've tried it. And so this is why the gas station sushi thing. If you've ever had gas station sushi and that was your only experience of sushi, And you say to someone, I hate sushi. By the way, I can see y'all are just like fading because it's hot in here. This is what you look like to me. Mildly cross-eyed occasionally when you reopen your eyes. I'm not sleeping, okay. get that vague feeling of falling. (laughs) Uh, If you have anyone in your life who thinks they don't like sushi and the only sushi they've had is like... They've not, they've not actually dipped it in soy sauce with wasabi and then eaten a piece of ginger after. It's not fresh. It's not good. And they don't know what they're talking about. And they have no basis on saying, I don't like fish. And they're just a baby, a whiny little baby who doesn't like the idea of eating raw fish. And they just really need to grow up and be a man and or woman and go to an expensive place and lay down 40 bucks for like three pieces of fish and then be humble enough to receive from thousands of years of wisdom from people smarter and better than them and just eat it and then learn to like it. Anyway, what was I saying? Gas station sushi. If the only sushi you've ever eaten is gas station sushi and then you think you hate sushi, you don't, you've never even had sushi. I rejected Christianity. I had never tasted Christianity. I grew up in the church. Are you hearing me? My whole life I grew up in the church. I was baptized. I had Sunday school every Sunday. I went to Christian meetings. I went to Christian youth group meetings. I went to special revival services. I was not a Christian. I had a worldview that was handed to me by Christians. But I did not know the grace of God. I did not know the Father. I did not have the Holy Spirit indwelling me. I had no basis for my arrogant rejection of, of the faith. I thought I did. I had a worldview. I didn't have faith. You know the difference? So I, 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 I'm self-medicating, and I think I've done that, I've been there, I've rejected that, and at some point, the self-medication stopped being fun. Like the when the, like the party ends eventually. And, and then you're the one person who can't quite get happy, no matter how much you smoke or drink or use. It's, then you start to realize, I would have these moments where I was trying to make myself not able to feel the me inside of me that was still sober at the end of the day. And I remember being in one of these like, moments where all of a sudden I could sense God looking at me with a, you know what you're doing, you're running. You're not genuinely searching anymore for what life's for, are you? You're just getting through. And I knew that, deep. Not the God of the Bible, not the God of Jesus, the, the, the being who's out there. And at some point I had this conversation with my cousin up in the mountains, I took a family reunion out to, the, to Colorado and a bunch of them were climbing Pikes Peak, but instead I was using hallucinogenic drugs out in the mountains by myself all day. And before that, the night before, I had a conversation with my cousin Keith. And I gave him my arguments why Christianity's not believable, not worth... Like, you guys are just so dumb and arrogant. What is wrong with you for believing? And he says, um, oh, that's really interesting, Tim. Do you believe there's such a thing as truth? And I said, "Well, th- clearly, this, like this is real, right? This is, this is. Re- Can we agree on that? This exists. That we're not a hallucinogenic brain in a vat, series of thoughts, but this is real. If you can't agree on that, really can't make any progress on anything. So, if this is real, then a, an accurate statement about this would be truth, right?" If we can't agree on that, just give up looking for any kind of meaning in life. I said, okay, clearly there is such a thing as truth. And he goes, okay, so if there is such a thing as truth, do you think a little old pe- puny human, a little old puny human could ever discover that truth? The truth about like what is life really about? What is it for? I, didn't, I don't think I answered his question. I think I left, and his question chewed on the back of my mind. Can I know the truth? Can I know the truth? Can I know the truth? Can I actually discover the meaning of life? Can I discover the reason for life? Or is this all a sick joke? Because what a sick joke that I want love, I want poetry. I want romance. I want to create. I want to explore. I want, I feel deeply. I feel deeply certain things are wrong. I feel deeply other things are right. I feel deeply some things really matter. And if, if it's just stuff comes from nowhere headed to nowhere, then all those feelings That there's right and wrong, that there's beauty and ugly, that relationships and love matter. All of those are just lies. They're just lies. Nothing matters. There is no right and wrong. We're here for a second, then we're not, and it meant nothing, and no one remembers, and we go back to being exactly what we were before, before we were ever conscious. Now, that may be the truth, but that's very tragic and almost no one that no one i know lives as though that's true are you with me i feel like i said a lot right there almost no one on planet earth lives as if we're just dust come from nothing headed to nothing and therefore nothing matters almost everyone lives loves, serves, makes moral choices, prioritizes, evalues and evaluates on the basis of the idea that life is completely meaningful and all kinds of things matter. So is that intuition wrong? That was my basic question. So I stopped running from and using drugs to run from and I started running after. If there's such a thing as truth, I should be able to know it. I should be able to know it. I should be able to know it. And I remember I'm out there on the mountains of Colorado the sun is is going down you know how the sky changes as the sun's going down I didn't realize at the time that our atmosphere serves as kind of a prism like a like a ball of glass that it, that the light bends and refracts and certain frequencies of the electromagnetic radi whatever it is the electromagnetic radiation flying at us from the sun certain visible parts of that become refracted differently so parts of the prism The clouds are beautiful is my point. Magenta and peach and purple and red and pink and contrasted with the aqua and teal of the sky. And uh, I see an eagle riding the... uh, Because I'm I'm on one side of the mountain overlooking a valley with a stream and on the other side is another mountain. And so the thermals are rising so this eagle can just... Doesn't even have to flap his wings. And then the hummingbirds, because I'm wearing tie-dyes, the hummingbirds keep zipping up to me and are you a flower? And I'm like, nah, bro. <laughs> and I'm listening to The Doors on my Sony Walkman with the cassette. Uh, when the music's over, the whole album is fantastic. And I'm enjoying the beauty of this. Oh, and the beavers have made a dam in the stream and they've created a little pond. Beavers are crazy. Their teeth never stop growing. They're orange teeth because they're full of keratin. They have iron in their—I'm sorry—they have iron in their teeth. Did you know this? Iron in their teeth. Don't mess with beavers. And they're stinky, very stinky. And they had created—did you say shoot them? Oh my goodness! Beavers used to cover this 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 land and created rich ecosystems all around. And then we were like, they are good for hats. And then we just killed them and killed them and killed them and killed them. And the Indians. Okay. We want them beavers. Get out of our land. It's our land. We've been here forever. Ah, yeah, well, we're, 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 we're... Okay. Don't go there, Tim. And right when I'm watching all this natural beauty, the sun is setting, the eagles there, the hummingbirds, and everything just coalescing. And I'm going, wow. And I hear a voice and the voice says to me, deep here, deep in here, the voice says, you know I'm real. Now, do you think that felt good or bad? <laughs> it, I interpreted it as bad. It was like, <laughs> you know when you got your hand in the cookie jar and then all of a sudden you feel mom behind you? what are you doing? It was one of those things, you know I'm real. You can't feel and see all this and just say, it means nothing. Which is crazy, like right out of the Bible, Romans chapter one, God's eternal power and divine nature are clearly seen through what he has made so that people are without excuse. That was the moment for me where that verse became an experience. I didn't know it was a verse. I didn't know it was a verse. I just knew, you know I'm real. It's like, oh, crap, you are real. I better quit smoking so I don't have to see you very soon. And that was all I learned that day, quit smoking. Did I quit smoking? No. No, I did not. I tried to. A few more encounters just like that later, and I would, I would reach a new insight. I would say, okay. I remember one night, all of a sudden, I, I realized, talking with my friend, and I realized, first of all, I'm a liar. I told my parents, they said, when we're gone, don't throw any parties this weekend. And I, heard, I said out loud, I won't. All right, we're in the middle of the party, and we're like cleaning up human blood from a big fight because somebody's boyfriend is... Ex boyfriend came and saw the new boyfriend with the girl, and, the, and she's my woman, you stupid, you know. Ugh. Why did I invite these people? I'm tr- <laughs> well, in my opinion, they all lost at life. So um, <laughs> it was actually my ex girlfriend, too, but I wasn't punching anybody. Oh my goodness. So, <laughs> too many details too many details. So, so during this party, all of a sudden, my own words come back to me. I won't. Don't throw any parties. I won't. And you know how sometimes you realize you're a bad person and you're like, oh, that stinks. And then other times you realize you're a bad person and it creates like an itch in your soul that you can't scratch. And it's like dread. No, maybe. Yeah. Dread. That night it was dread. I'm a horrible person. I love my mom. And I just, like, lied to her like it was nothing. I'm the kind of person I can't stand. And I remember with my friends that night, and we start processing out, like, if you could live forever, what would you learn? And what we figured out was, like, if you could live forever, at least this was our thought experiment, if you could live forever, let's say, as a human, in in a body, on planet Earth, eventually, after a couple hundred years, the worldview, what you believed about life would create consequences. If you believed uh, there's no real meaning that you can see, and therefore there's no meaning, then the hurts, the disappointments, the setbacks, the rejections, the betrayals, the pain. Because life on planet Earth, I don't, you, you guys have figured this out, right? It involves a lot of pain. I figured maybe the 500 years before you ended up just like taking your own life. But if you were going to be able to survive a millennia, you would have to eventually trust that even though you don't understand the why behind tons of stuff, you would have to trust that there's a goodness and a love and you're, you're going to have to remedy that tension of how bad the world is by trusting that somehow beyond your ability to see it, There's a good hand behind it, that there's a purpose, even though I can't see it. In other words, that night I concluded, if you're able to walk by faith, you might be able to survive, and you might be able to stay open toward life and people, but that if you didn't have a trust in a basic goodness, you would close up, you would create walls around you, you wouldn't let people in, and you would become your own prison, and eventually you would self-destruct. Now, that was, I was age, what, 17, 18, somewhere around there. I'm 43, and that makes perfect sense to me right now, sober. And I was definitely not sober when I had that thought. I still didn't come to faith yet. You know I'm real. Faith creates the capacity to stay open and not self-destruct and become bitter and no fun to be with. Unbelief, whatever you want to call that, Will self destruct. A few more encounters later, and finally I came to a decision point. And the decision was not, do I feel like following Jesus? Do I want my sins forgiven? It was none of that nonsense, none of that syrupy American selfish sales pitch, none of that nonsense. It was, my life's in a crisis, I hate who I've become. I don't know this God who's revealed himself to me, but the only way to learn anything else from this point is to leap. Like, I'm not going to get any experience that's going to be able to tell me anything else from here. I'm going to have to leap. And if I don't, I already know what I'm going to get because it's what I've been getting for the last 16, 17, 18, 19 years. Me in charge of me, which is hell on earth. I became, my uncle says, most of us don't change until the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change. Some people are like, I came to the Lord because I was just like, wow, he's so beautiful. I feels right. I'm doing it. Wow, that's, that's awesome. I'm sure that happens. For me, it wasn't that. For me, it was, help. I don't know you and I don't trust you, but please, will you take over? Because I know me and I definitely don't trust me. Me and my friends, we all said we prayed that prayer that morning. In the middle of the night, cops are outside and things are going crazy and it's a long story. And they got their little spotlights in the building. we're on the floor and my one friend, I don't know what you guys are doing, but I'm praying. And he's got a handful of Bibles. Dude doesn't know anything about the Lord. He has no intention of serving God. What a hypocrite, what a moron. You think you can just, on your worst day ever, have God bail you out so you can go back living for yourself? Idiot. So I was having that thought about my friend. And at that exact moment, the the same voice inside of me says, you are right, but you know better. What about you, boy? And I pictured taking my one friend to his mom, all duct taped up, pulling him out of my trunk, and being like, he ain't never going to be right again. It's my fault. Sorry. And so I said, "Okay, me in charge of me is a disaster. Will you take over, please? I don't know if you can have me. I don't know if you even want me but I'm a disaster. And I don't know you and I don't trust you, but the only thing I can do from here is say, let's exchange. You got to take the driver's seat. I got to, yeah. That sounds like a country song. Jesus, take the wheel. I need help. And in that moment, this thing went, boop. And this, my, my knower, the same knower that knew I'm a mess, the same knower that knew you know I'm real, the same knower that knew I was made for more than this, my life matters, life matters, beauty, that same knower, In that moment where I said, please, please, if you'll have me, please take over my life. Take over. I didn't pray to receive Jesus into my heart. I didn't pray to to go to heaven. I said, take over. Take over my life. And this boop, and I knew. Okay, from here on out, no matter what, my life belongs to this being. This being. Next day I woke up. First thought. On my mind, God, God, God. Next day, first thought on my mind the next morning, God, 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 God. I know God. I belong to God. My life belongs to God. My whole life's about God. Every moment of my life is now devoted to God. The only thing in my life that matters is God. My one thing is God, God. I didn't do that, guys. I didn't do that to myself. I didn't make a decision to do that. Something touched, something happened and reoriented my soul to where I was was aware of God's presence, here and now, day and night, and he was the first thought of my mind. And so I began to seek God. I began to try to figure out who God was. I called my buddy Jim up. I said, "Jim, what the heck? Uh, I think I just got saved. Whatever that means. I don't know what that means, but I think I just got saved." And he he wasn't even excited. He goes, "Good. Now get your butt over here. We're going to start studying the Bible together." He did not. He did not waste one minute on joy. Uh, that's fascinating to me. Now I realize later, he was super joyful about it, but he was also aware, you don't leave a naked baby on the ground just because it got born and get all excited and then walk away and leave it on the ground. First thing you do, you cut that umbilical cord, you wash that baby off, you clean its ears, eyes, and nose out, you give it a little footprint, you give it its shots it needs, you give it a bath, you wrap it up real tight, and you give it to its mom so it can get busy feeding in a warm, safe environment and getting chock full of that fatty milk so it can grow strong and strengthen its immune system and all that good stuff that's in mama's milk. And that's what Jim was doing to me. Jim was like, he didn't waste one second going, oh, that's the beautiful baby, let's take pictures of it. No, 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 let's go, let's go. We had Friday night Bible study. We would study the Bible for like an hour and a half. We would sing for like an hour and a half. We would break out in little groups and pray for like an hour and a half. Had to be guys with guys, girls with girls, because we went deep. We went deep. And no one made us. This wasn't an official church thing. In fact, there were people from all the different churches in the area that I would, I would invite to my house, and Jim would teach us the Bible. It was better than seminary, and he kicked our butts. So I started to read in my Bible, try to figure out who this God is who now owns my life. So I started reading Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, and I discovered this Jesus person. Jesus then became the face of God for me, the God I just—I didn't know but I surrendered to. The God who put all these desires for romance and beauty and truth and meaning in me. I'm reading Jesus. And Jesus' criticisms of the faith were way harsher than mine ever were. His, his criticisms of the faith were way harsher than mine. I, I found myself rooting for Jesus all through the Gospels. Like, that's right, get him, Lord. <laughs> I love this guy. Who is this guy? This is great. I remember watching this, this uh, the Bible just acted out the book of Matthew just acted out and I'm watching it and watching it and then all of a sudden they they murder Jesus they brutally they brutally murder Jesus and they're nailing him to this cross and I'm just crying and I don't know why I'm crying it seems so wrong it's like the most beautiful good person who's ever lived and we just can't handle that so we got to kill him and get rid of him and and he's on this cross and he makes eye contact with me through the TV And I can't stop crying. I also don't know why am I high? Why am I high? I I came out of a drug lifestyle. I know what it feels like to be high on a variety of different substances. And what I noticed, as we would sing, I would get high. When we would sing, I would get high. I would see things like I would see things when I was on drugs. And I thought, man, I must have done a lot of drugs. They're still in me. That's what I thought, because I didn't know anything. My buddy would play this guitar and he'd sing. While well, he would sing, I would get so high and emotional. Well, it turns out it wasn't high at all. It was just God's presence. In fact, I'm designed to experience God's presence, and drugs are a counterfeit. Which is why it says, "Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit." Because being filled with the Spirit is like being intoxicated with a substance. You feel it. It does stuff to you. You become under the influence of it. It's a hot day in the, in the sanctuary, isn't it? Did you die? Are you okay? Is anyone here? Do I need to hand out deodorants? And Jesus became the face of this God for me. And one of the first, I'll, I'll finish with this. One of the first lessons that I began to learn, is, so, so I came out of it's not doable. It's not livable. It's just motivation, condemnation, rededication. So now I meet this God that's like affirming of all these deep desires. And, I'm, and I've surrendered. So no matter what it costs or what it feels like, I've surrendered. And I'm in the Bible And whenever I find something in the Bible that's relevant to me, I highlight it. So like the whole New Testament is purple from being multiple highlighted in different colors. And I find this verse and it says, aim for perfection. So I'm trying to aim for perfection. I'm at a campfire late at night because I have no curfew anymore. Before before I, I knew Jesus, my parents didn't trust me at all and shouldn't have. I had a curfew. Jesus woke my mom up in the middle of the night told her where I am who I'm with and what I'm doing and then she went and found me and I'm like "That that was bad vibes and I was sure it was the cops because the drugs do things to your brain oh no aliens no aliens nowadays you'd have a whole YouTube channel based on and you'd think it was conspiracy and people not on drugs would believe it don't hit the phone, don't hit the thing uh, so aim for perfection. So I try. I'm trying to aim I'm trying to be sinless. I'm trying to please God with everything. I'm trying to pray without ceasing. I'm trying to follow because I'm 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 trying to do this right. Well, guess what I figured out? The harder I tried to be perfect, the more frustrated I became at how I wasn't. Oh, that was rough. The harder I tried to be perfect, the more aware I became of my imperfections and the more frustrated I became. And that's when God then said, Okay, boy, it's time to teach you about the idea that you are dead to the law. So Romans 7, the first few verses, it says that if a, if a woman's married, then as long as, she, as long as her spouse is alive, her husband's alive, she's, she's bound to stay married to him. But if he dies, then she's free to remarry someone else. And then Paul says... You died to the law through the death of Jesus. You were in Jesus on that cross. And when he died, you died. He put all the law and its demands, which you failed, to death on this cross. That's what that means. He took the death I deserve for all of my lawbreaking on himself. And when he died, the old me that was under the law and condemned by the law died with him. So now it says, Romans 7, you died to the law so that you could marry another, namely Jesus. Oh, man, it took a lot of years for me to figure out. I don't have to be perfect. I just stay connected to Jesus, and God's not evaluating me with this careful checklist, saying, change, I've invested so much, I let my son die for you, you better be better. None of that was him. That was Mr. Law. Mr. Law was impossible to live with, not doable. The faith wasn't even good news for me because I was living with Mr. Law, married to Mr. Law. Lots of Christians literally think Romans 7, I don't understand what I do, for I don't do the good I want to do, the evil I don't want to do, that I do. A lot of Christians literally think that is the normal Christian life, and it's not. That's what it feels like to be under the law. That's what Jesus came to die to set us free from. So that Romans 6 is the normal Christian life. Romans 5 is the normal Christian life. Romans 8 is the normal Christian life. I'm in grace. My eyes aren't even on the law. My eyes aren't even on that. My eyes are on the the finished work of Jesus for me, not the unfinished work of what I need to finish for him. My focus is not on what I'm doing for him. My focus is on what he did for me. And as long as my focus is on grace, there is no condemnation, and the power of the Spirit actually dislodges me from slavery to sin, and I'm walking out the power of the gospel. That's a lot. I'm just finishing with that because that's where my story started when I said this isn't even doable. And, I, and the rest of my journey is a lot more and that's too much. It's 1201. Go ahead and stand. Wow, good job, guys. This was like a, a, a marathon in the hot sun. And now I feel like I need to go around with Gatorade and cheer for you and say, great great hustle feel the burn great job everyone <laughs> i know it's not that bad can you imagine there's people all over the whole world don't have air conditioning in their church and they got they like walked 4 miles you know barefoot on the on the rock road to to do uphill they were not only was it 90 degrees but they were also barefoot in the snow on mount everest uphill both ways backwards on their feet what don't listen to me let's stop Here's your benediction. And there will be a prayer team up at the end for anyone who wants prayer for anything at all. There's no obligation, except I will say this. You're doing them a huge favor if you come up because then they get to try to figure out how to partner with the Holy Ghost. I bless you in Jesus' name. May we all know this God that is not only true, but this gospel that's actually good news, that does not burden us down, but lifts our burdens, that does not make our life Slavery, but delivers us out of the slavery. So may you all, may we all know this grace and this God as good news for the world and for us. Amen. 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 You're dismissed.